chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. You know, before I traveled with my family, I uh, got together with a few evangelists, and we would go from college to college. We, we would call it blow in, blow up, blow out, all right? We would show up on college campuses, hand out, I don't know, two, 3,000 tracts, start telling people about the Lord, and then before the police would come or any trouble came, <clears throat> we would blow out. <clears throat> and um, uh, that was a really good uh, song, by the way. I was trying not to get emotional. And we would go from different places. I remember we went all the way down to East Coast, all the way down to Orlando University. There's about 45,000 students there. I couldn't hand out tracks fast enough. And so I would just, you know, I would give like five or six to pass them around. I mean, we just were trying to hand out so many tracks. And we had a blast. We led so many people to the Lord. I felt like I was doing exactly what God called me to do. You know, as an evangelist, I was winning people to Christ. And, you know, every week was a different story. I would even call my wife. I'd say, hey, we were at, you know, Miami University. And they only got half of us off. And the other half was on you know, winning people to Christ inside the rooms and, and all sorts of great stuff. Not that I recommend that, but it was, it was fantastic. But something hit me. Um, I was talking to one of the evangelists, and I said, so do you do a lot of ministry with your church? He goes, no. He goes, the church doesn't do much evangelism. They just slow me down. I go, yeah, but God did not say, upon this rock I'll build my college. He said, upon this rock I'll build my church. Don't you feel like you're kind of going outside of God's rules of trying to do it, just be this lone ranger type of person. He's like, I know I'm doing God's work, and, and I'm winning to people of Christ, and everyone else is just sitting down doing nothing on Sunday, and I'm going out and winning people of Christ. I'm like, yeah, but God died for the church. You understand, that's the body of Christ. And as I was winning people of Christ and having a great time, I started to get convicted and thinking, what kind of, my wife has given birth to six children, what kind of parent would she be if, if we gave birth to the child and we just left him in the hospital? And we're like, all right, well, we brought them into this world, but we're not going to take care of them. We're not going to grow them. We're not going to see what we can do to help them learn about this world. I feel like that would be like child neglect. And I started to feel like that as a Christian, where we were winning people to Christ, but not getting them involved in a local church. And I started to feel as if we are leaving this child, this newborn babe in Christ, open for the attack of the enemy. And I remember I was in, in Miami, and I was calling, I called Sarah about some other things, and I was sitting in the car while everyone else was, was preaching. And I thought, you know, as much as I enjoy traveling with these evangelists, winning people to Christ, how many of them are finding a church to grow? What damage are we doing to that young Christian by not getting the church involved? And that's when I started to pray about a reason for living ministries and traveling and doing ministry with the local church so that when we go on college campuses, if there are people who are reached, and we get their information that the local church is able to follow up and they have a church to go to. I'm not against Bible studies on college campuses, but I knew that was not the direction I wanted to go. Because I didn't want someone to think, man, I grew really, uh, you know, I grew really strong in the Lord when I was at this university. And then after four years, they don't have a place to call home in the glory of God. I wanted them to be able to say, in this area, maybe, you know, University of Buffalo or Buff State or whatever, Niagara County Community College, and they're, they're here, and they say, you know what, there was a church 
that came on this campus and led some people to the Lord, now that I have a family, I want to go back to that church. I want to be there and grow and be discipled and have mentorship happen so that I can grow and do what they did for me. And that's what started a reason for Living Ministries. I was already evangelizing, but I realized we cannot do it without the local church help. And so that's what really started us traveling. With that being said, I I find myself, as I was getting the church involved, realizing that people are not like me, and they were not used to having conversations like me. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, as I read this, I want to read the story that you guys know well about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, in the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, uh, unto the desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure. It's a pretty great man. And had come to Jerusalem for to worship. I wonder why. Was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet, And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. Another question is, how did he know the Spirit said to go? And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest. You see how there is a question mark in your Bible? He wasn't telling him, this is what you're reading. He's asking him, do you understand what you read? That's important. I just want you guys to remember that. And he said, how can I, except some man, should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture that was read was, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. We know this is from Isaiah 53. And then when he gets down to verse 34, he says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, to whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. One of the things I recognize as Christians that we all want to be soul winners. Me telling you that you should be a soul winner is not a shock to you. You're not like, wow, that was amazing, Brother Aaron, that I should be telling people about Jesus. But what I realized when I would go out with my evangelist friends and I would go out with churches that there is a hurdle above all hurdles that I have found that Christians struggle with. Now, if I could bring a lost person here, which I have done by the, before. I brought lost people into a service, so I said, all right, they're going to talk to you. <laughs> I'm kind of crazy. But one of the things that I remember doing is asking, if I could bring in a, uh, some lost people here, and they said, what must I do to be saved? I don't think that there's anyone, including the children that are saved, that would struggle with sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They would probably maybe go through the Romans road, and they would walk through it and tell them about all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Maybe they would use their own testimony of when they got saved. Maybe one of my favorite is the ABCs of the gospel. Admit, believe, confess. It's on the back of my prayer card. I really like that because even I can count or count the ABC. Yeah. Yep. That's why I got married, so I could pass college. Um, And so we could do this. But the problem we're finding when it comes to evangelism that I have found across the board is how do you approach a stranger and get into a gospel conversation? 
And that seems to be the biggest problem that I have found. And so one of the things I want us to see here, if you can read that, if you can't get glasses, if, you don't, if glasses still don't work, I'm sorry. Um, how to approach the loss with the gospel. I want to tell you that there are at least five different ways that I have used to approach people in giving the gospel. Now, for sake of time, there are a plethora of different ways to approach. I'll show you some of my favorites, but remember, you don't have to be me. But this is what I've seen. Now, there are some strategies as I get to go through, and you're going to have to be patient with me. I got some serious ADD, and I will jump back and forth, and a PowerPoint is very difficult for me because it says I have to stay focused on the slide. And if I get too far off, my wife will shake her head no, and if you see that, then you know I'm way off. I wanted to say that one of the reasons why I love your church is those uh, candles making the little light, they kept my focus during all the songs and all the <laughs> spiritual readings. And, and Sarah kept going, look at him. I'm like, this is so cool. I've never seen a church that had that. Now what you're going to do is look at it the rest of the time. When you're handing out tracts, your job is not to win someone to Christ. Okay, it's not your job to win someone to Christ. Please do not have that as your goal because two things will happen. Either A, you'll be a salesman and try to quickly get them through a prayer and you will ruin their testimony and they, you could give them a false conversion. Okay, number two, if you don't lead someone to the Lord, like Jeremiah, you might think that you're a failure and somehow your ministry is worth nothing. And the fact of the matter is, that's not your calling. Your calling is not to win someone to Christ. If you have that, then you'll either think that you're really successful and get prideful, or you'll think you're a failure. And that is a very dangerous road to go down. And another thing is, remember, we are not in competition. Think about this. If we're in competition for a position in this church, I want to work alongside Brother Barron. Okay, so we're in competition. When you fall, I want to exploit your fall. Because it helps to, to kind of even the playing field. Because it means I get some more points. Okay, like cornhole, I get some more points on the board. So, hey, did you see what that person did? So gossip, you have that needle that kind of sows discord among the brethren, right? That kind of happens if you think it's a competition. But if you think it's a war and there's an enemy out there and you're fighting against that, that the, the, the powers, you're wrestling not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places and you realize that if your flank goes, this person over here, if he gets shot, you're going to get shot. So you're like, hey, take some of my ammo. All right, what can I do to help you? How can I bear one another's burden so fulfill the law of Christ? You start to think of it differently. And when you're out evangelizing, you have to recognize that it also is not a competition. All right, that soul is on their way to hell. They're bleeding out. And it's not, hold, let me see what I can do to get them to say a prayer. I led three people and you only led one. That's not the goal. And if you have that as your goal, not only are you going to hurt those people, you're going to hurt yourself. Now, believe me, I'm a very competitive person, but I realize that if I see this as a war because that's what it is, then I want to give you ammunition so that you can lead more people to Christ. And if there's a place where you're falling, I want to give you help. And if I'm falling, I want you to bear my burden because we're a team. We're on the same side. And so one of the things we have to recognize is these different approaches you're going to use throughout this time that when I'm here and when I'm not here. And one of the things that we talk about the approaches is the first one is apologist approach. Now, in an apologist approach has the idea of defending your faith. Now, the, the, when you use this, it would be in situations where you have people who are Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Muslim, those who already have 
a, a, a doctrine or a belief, they think that they're right. And when that happens, you're going to have to get used to defending what you believe. Now, I got myself into some, I would say, uh, tough situations because my son Elijah is very smart in the Bible, and I remember going to the Hilkamora pageants where there's 10,000 Mormons coming to worship, you know, talking about the Nephites and the Lephites and, and gathering these lost tribes or whatever. And I had this wonderful opportunity to take Elijah and witness to a lot of the missionaries of the, of the uh, Mormon religion. And I wasn't on there 15 minutes on the actual site, and uh, the police escorted me off. And I, I was like, what am I doing? I thought I was pretty low-key. I guess not. But in the conversations, I was using one of my friends to talk to one of the missionaries. And I went to him and I said, what must I do to be saved? I, I just want to know what must I do to be saved. And I was using my, my, um, my approach, which we'll talk about in a second. But the other missionary was talking to my son. And he says, I want to show you how G Jesus Christ is not God, but that he was created. And he starts saying, do you believe in the King James Bible? And Elijah's like, yeah, I believe in the King James Bible. And this was years ago, but I, I, you know, I remember he's like, yeah, I believe in the King James Bible. Well, what do you do when it says that he was made the only begotten? I mean, he was made the only begotten. So, okay, if he was made, then he, he's not the Alpha and the Omega. He's not the beginning and the ending. And I remember hearing in my ear, I guess he was created. And I went, hi, I'll take it over from here. And I started to realize that they were taking advantage of my son because I left him out to be eaten by wolves. And I realized that there was a danger in doing that, especially with people who think they're already right. There are four conversations that you can have with an individual. Three are good, one is bad. And actually it happens amongst Christians, so if you recognize this, then you'll know if you're on a good standing or bad standing. If you're a student-student, both trying to study a topic, maybe you're trying to see if the Old Testament saints were um, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, why and why not, and if they weren't, then how were they permanently sealed unto the day of redemption? Maybe you want to go down that route and talk about interesting questions. Um, but you're both studying it together, so you both know that you're asking questions trying to figure it out. There are other times when you know that you're the student and the other person's the teacher. Okay, well, someone's up here teaching, and they have the position of the teacher. You know that you're a student, and you're learning. Get the idea. Vice versa, you know you're the teacher, and they're the student. All of those forms, you can see that you grow in the spirit of truth. It's great. You grow in the knowledge of God. But there's another time of conversation where you have a teacher-teacher moment, and the person is talking, and you're not listening. You're just trying to find a way to argue with them and show them why they're wrong. And this can happen in the midst of talking to a Mormon, a Jehovah Witness, or a Muslim, because they think they're right. The apologist approach is a very good way to get people to doubt their, their, their position, because you're defending your faith and getting them to doubt their own. So you could go to a Mormon, and I don't have to tell you this because you probably already know, where you could go to Isaiah 43, you can go to other places, show them that they're not going to become gods one day. There was one God formed, there was no God before him or after him, saith the Lord. And you could show them that when he's talking about being made the only begotten, he's talking about when he came into this world as Jesus Christ being born as a human, because in the hypostatic union, he was 100% God and 100% man. You guys know this. But in the midst of conversation, sometimes you kind of duke out and you forget. What was that verse again that pastor was talking about? 
Apologists' approach are, is those who have a good idea of defending their faith, and they like to debate with those that you know, like, believe that they're right. This is a good position for those who are study, you know, students of the word. And I've seen many people use this approach. It uses, it, it's a great for those who are Mormons and Muslims and Jehovah Witnesses. Did I lose something because I touched too many things? What did I do wrong? Ha! I did it. Now, the weakness of this view is the Bible says only by pride cometh contention. Okay? And so, when you get only by pride cometh contention, one of the things that happens is you might think, well, I'm right, you're wrong, and then you walk away not listening to each other. And the goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to see the soul turn from death unto life. So you get into a situation where you're arguing with them. You might, not, you might say, well, oh, man, I showed him that I knew this verse and that verse and this passage and that passage. Well, did they get saved? No. Well, did they listen to you? Not really. Okay, how much ground did you gain? See, our goal in Christianity, in, in giving the gospel, is to get them to the place where they understand the gospel and they accept or reject it. And there's steps along that way. Number one, they learn about God. Okay, number two, about sin. Number three, about Jesus Christ. And then four, whether to accept or reject his offering of salvation. Now, you might not make it to the rejecting and accepting, but if they learn about God, maybe you are the planter. You know, there's a danger if you water a seed and then you start talking about something else, you can drown that seed in what you just planted. So that's what the apologist does. It is powerful. I, mean, I don't want to you know, take it away. I, there's actually someone in our church, uh, Mrs. Rickner, um, Kevin Rickner's wife. She's really good at this. I, I, I don't have this skill. Um, this is not my cup of tea. But she went up to a Catholic and she goes, you're wrong, and this is a good thing. Let me tell you why. And they're like, sure. And I, I couldn't do that. They would say, what are you saying to me? <laughs> and she would go up to Catholics and Mormons and say, oh, you are way off, and let me explain. <laughs> and then she would go in defending the faith. But the danger that you have to be careful of is the idea of only by pride cometh contention. And if you walk away both contented about the faith, then guess what? You didn't gain the ground that you wanted to. So this is a view, but it's not the best view. It, it, it works for some, but not all. The next is proclamation approach. Now, proclamation approach is, obviously, it's heralding the good news. If you look through Scripture, through different passages, um, and, and I'm going to do that right now, turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. And I do know that I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit. Uh, and going to different places, but all this material is good. I'm, I'm actually trying to fit in a lot because I think you guys can handle it. But when you're going handing out tracts on a college campus, here's a little tid, uh, uh, tip for you. If there's a line, someone waiting in line to get books, and you're going to hand out tracts, you might not even want to talk to them, you just want to hand out tracts, do not start at the beginning of the line and hand out a tract because people are sheep. And if you hand out a tract and another person says, no, thank you, what do you think the rest are going to do? No, thank you. No, thank you. They don't even know what it is. No, thank you. No, thank you. But if you start at the end of the line, there's like 30 people, and you tap them, oh, can you, you want this? They go, sure. Next one, hey, here you go. I, I got something for you. Okay, here you go. Oh, sure. And then before you know it, they're, they're all just doing this, and you just handed out 30 tracks because no one said no because they don't know to say no. <laughs> and so it, it, there are different things that you see happen 
because people are sheep, and, and they're literally, if, even if it was a $100 bill, and someone says, no, thank you, the next person would say, no, thank you. Why? I don't know. They just do it. Oh, it's off. Good job. Well done. Keep an eye on me, okay, Levi? So proclamation approach. So one of the things that I do in proclamation approach is, you know, where you stand there, and there's a lot of people around, and you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We were at the University of Pennsylvania, and there was a stoplight that was there, and I would have about 45 seconds to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I would say, you, and, and I've said this before, you see a building, you know there's a builder, you see a painting, you know there's a painter, you see creation, you know there's a creator, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for your sins. If you would admit that you are a sinner, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and confess Christ to be your Savior, he can give you everlasting life. And I have to keep going, and on the other side, they're handing out tracts. Stoplight turns green, then they go across, turns red, Boom, I have it all over again. Okay, and I'm proclaiming to the groups of people coming. Now, truth be told, the good news about this is you're reaching a lot of people at once. Maryland University, there were thousands of people walking through. I could not hand out tracts fast enough, so what I started to do was just to preach, and everyone else started handing out tracts. Now, open-air preaching can go good or bad for you, because I was in Syracuse. There was another open-air preacher and he had a sign that says, you're all going to burn in hell. And, I, and I'm not, that's not my cup of tea. Um, I like to talk to the people. But he tricked me, and he goes, hey, can you hold the sign for a second? got to tie my shoe. And I was like, sure, you know, because I was going to talk to him about what he was doing. So I hold this sign, and then he stands and holds up another sign. And here comes a camera crew. I'm like, how do I hide my face? <laughs> it's, <laughs> and so now we're both holding signs as if I'm with him. He tricked me. Um, but the proclamation approach, for those who love to preach, this is a way to do it. Now, if you do it right, you can reach a lot of people at once. It is a powerful thing to do. Okay. And, uh, hey, Levi, good job. Okay, so proclamation approach. The next one is my favorite, which is we're going to dive in. Before we get to there, I want to hit Jonah chapter 3 because I got distracted. Levi, I'm going to blame you, okay? All right, you said no. Levi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says, and the wor- uh, Jonah chapter 3, sorry, Jonah chapter 3, 1 through 5. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey, which that's a pretty big city. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's good preaching right there. And what happens? So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even unto the least of them. So please don't tell me that the preaching today, the proclamation approach doesn't work because obviously it worked in the Old Testament. We've seen it work all throughout, even in the New Testament. I've seen it work in my life. It does work, but it can be done wrong, just like any approach of the gospel can be done wrong. So the question is, how are you using this proclamation approach? Um, The next one is the Columbus approach. This is where I'm going to slow down and really talk about what it means in the Columbus approach. This is my favorite. The Columbus approach is asking questions. You see, one of the things that you find when you talk to someone is they don't know you from Adam, 
So when you go up and you're like, you know, I'll just you know, do Samuel since he's in there. Hey, how you doing? My name's Aaron. What's yours? Hey, I just got a question for you. You see this right here? Why did Jesus die? Do you know? You do? How did, why did he die? To save our sins. Huh. Yeah, maybe you could be saved. I'm not sure. (laughs) But the thing is, you start asking questions, and it allows them to talk. Now, I like this this approach because we're supposed to come across as harmless as possible. Now, if you look at some of these places where I'm I'm soul winning, that was in uh, Cincinnati. That was in, actually, Brockport um, when we went on to Brockport University. And one of the things that I found when I was talking to those guys in the middle is I went to them and said, hey, guys, how you doing? Are you guys playing your sports? Are you guys uh, athletes? Or are you guys just here, you know, working hard or hardly working? He goes, ah, man, this is our first day. You know, we're just checking things out. Like, oh, that's pretty cool. Well, I have a question for you because, obviously, you're getting ready for classes, and I'm going to give you a test right now. And I don't know if you're going to pass, but why did Jesus die? And one of the guys go, hmm. And I said, was well, that a tough one? You know, is it too hard? No, man, my grandma talks about this. I was like, okay. Uh, I was like, so what's the answer? And before you know it, we're talking about Jesus Christ. They're talking with each other. And I just kept asking questions, continuing the conversation in the direction I want to go. Now, you don't always have to start with why did Jesus die or a spiritual conversation. In one of the book's tactics that I read, um, he came across a Satanist that had a um, satanic necklace. Instead of talking about it spiritually, he goes, is that just a necklace or does that have some sort of spiritual value? And she goes, oh, no, this is my religion. So what religion is that necklace? And as he, she began to talk, he's like, so what is it that you guys do? Oh, we do this, this, this. We're actually really kind and, and really good. And what does it mean to be good? Before he knows it, he says, so you believe in Satan? Yeah. Well, my Bible talks about Satan also. He's the bad guy. So what, what does it say about Jesus and yours? And he just asked questions. And before you know it, she's now asking questions about the Bible. You know, well, what does your Bible say about this? Oh, mine says that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. Oh, mine says something different. Oh, well, mine also says, and before you know it, she finishes her time. He's still drinking coffee at the restaurant. And she comes over and says, can I talk to you about more questions? Why? Because she was as, he was as harmless as possible to the individual. This is my favorite. And actually, people think, Aaron, you must be very bold. You must be very uh, you know, outspoken. With all the energy that you have, um, you must be like very you know, uh, pushy. And I am not. I am not very pushy on people. Now, there are times when I, I see a situation and I think I can get away with it. Um, when I was younger in the faith, there was time. I w- there was two bikers in Las Vegas. Remember how I told you this morning we door knocked 185,000 doors, and I came across two bikers, and they had, you know, some bad magazines, bad stuff in their room and uh, in their garage. And I walked in and I said, "Hey, I just want to let you know how you cannot go to hell." And I was was talking to them, and he goes, "I want to go to hell because that's where the girls were at," and I got kind of frustrated with that. So I asked the other guy, I said, can you pass me the lighter? And as he passed me the lighter, I grabbed the guy's hand and tried to light it on fire. I don't recommend this, kids. <laughs> but he says, what are you doing? I said, getting you used to the weather, because that's what you're going to experience for all eternity. And so there are times when maybe I pushed it a little too far. But in the Columbo's approach, the idea is to be as harmless as possible. 
to ask them questions. It does not have to be spiritual questions. It can be questions about, you know, um, athletics. It can be questions about their work. It can be questions about their marriage. You know, oh, I see all those kids. How is it raising them? Oh, man, they're tough. Yeah, I totally understand. Well, you know, what have you been doing when you're raising your kids? Uh, yeah, we're just throwing them on the, uh, like jello on a wall and we'll see what sticks. I'm like, you know what? I had the same problem. But you know what helped me? Um, I went to a church and they showed me how you can raise your kid, train up a child in the way you should go. Do you, what do you know about church? Oh, uh, no, I went to church when I was younger. Oh, what'd you learn? Did, did it help you with the kids? Man, I don't know. I didn't stick long enough to find out. Like, well, how's it going now? It's pretty tough. Hmm. Well, who, did any of your family go to church? Yeah, my aunt went to church. Well, how did she do raising her kids? Yeah. See, I'm just asking questions, just getting them to talk, breaking down that stranger conversation until they start to let me in, and then I can turn it over to a spiritual. It actually is a very powerful thing. In this situation, in the Columbus Approach, in the middle group, these guys were walking by. And as they were walking by, um, I stopped them, and I used the uh, law approach. I said, hey, guys, how you doing? Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm actually here handing out some information, some pamphlets. But I, I want you guys to answer truthfully. Um, I, let me see. What's your name? And he's like, John. What's your name? Chris. All right, John, do you believe Chris is an honest person? Yeah, okay. So, Chris... Um, I want you to make sure that he's not lying, that John's not lying. John, have you ever lied before? Yes. Okay, what does that make you? A liar. Okay, have you ever stolen anything small? No. Well, you just said you're a liar. How can I trust you? (laughs) (laughs) And and, and then as we're going through, I was like, what does that make you? And they'll say stealer. I'm like, no, those are the football team in Philadelphia. Uh, What does it make you? Thief. Okay. And then, you know, I will walk through the different, you know, different laws, which I've learned from someone else. There was another evangelist that has done this. But I walked through and I said, okay, by your own admission, you're a lying thief, adulterer, blasphemer in heart. And if God was just going to judge you based off of these four commandments, are you innocent or guilty? And he'd be like, guilty. And I'm like, hey, you guys heard it. Now, we're all kind of laughing still. But then at a time, I say, all right, now, John, I'm, I'm actually going to have to get serious with you. Because of your sin, because of what you admitted to, you, have you ever had, lost a loved one? Is there anyone who's ever died before? Yeah, yeah. Um, you understand death is real. But the Bible said it's appointed that a man wants to die. And after this, the judgment. And that means, based off of your own admission, when you die, you're going to hell, man. What do you think about that? Now, I'm still using the Columbo's approach. What do you think about that? And now, now they're thinking. The other ones are thinking. What do you think? I can slow down now because they, they realize they just walked themselves into this position and now they have to think about it. And they have no way out because they've never thought about it before. And as they continue to talk amongst themselves, you're the one with the answer. Well, let me tell you about something. And then you share Jesus Christ and how he's the savior of the world. Those four kids got saved that day. And it's pretty amazing how God works. The guy over here was down in Miami um, and um, I used a situation where I came to him. And I actually, just so you realize this, and I, I, if we get to the ambassador's approach, um, it is 7 o'clock. How much time do I have? Okay, so 7.05. Got it. Okay. <laughs> just keep going. All right. So it, with this, one of the things I recognize when you're walking, and I'm going to use you. Why don't you stand up? Okay. 
Now, when, when you're walking, you're already going to be going somewhere. Let's say you're across the street. So you stay right there. If you make eye contact, you have about 10 seconds before they already realize you made eye contact, that person's weird. It just is. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. Appreciate your ministry. But you have about, about 10 seconds. It's, a, it's called the 10-second window. And if they're crossing the street, you don't want to make, make eye contact. If you're on this side of the street, you don't look at them and wait and say, and you get over here, I'm going to hand out a track. Okay. Okay. You don't do that. If you'll watch, they will try to avoid you, and they will already say no. They'll put it in their headphones. They will already know that you're strange. So you have to actually wait until they're closer. And when they start to come across, okay, you start to come across, and be like, oh, hey, how you doing? What's your name? What's your name? Hey, I want to just hand this to you. Uh, do you know what that is? No? Okay, well, this actually lets you know uh, the three most important questions to life, where you came from, why you're here, where you're going. Your name's Andrew. You from around here? Yeah, uh, no, I'm from Rochester. You're from Rochester? Where's that? That sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like two hours away. It's two hours away. Yeah, I like it better here. Do you like it? It's pretty good here, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Well, actually, so this right here I've been handing out to many, and you've never got this before. What would you say is the most important questions to life? What's the meaning of life? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, what about money, like success in your life? Sure. Okay, money, success. So let's say you have a million dollars. You, you, you are the richest of rich, and then you die tomorrow. How'd that help you? Hmm. Well, maybe I left a big inheritance to my... Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, yeah, and, they, and, they, and they, they squandered it with riotous living, didn't they? I'm sure they did. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, stipulations. Well, see, here's the thing. Um, this is actually the wealth and riches that come even after you die. You see, if you look on the front, you see that question? What does it say? Why did Jesus die? What do you think that is? All right, good job, good job. You're doing a great job. All right, the 10-second window, okay, one of the things that I recognized was that he stopped. Of course, he might have did it for here. He stopped, and you'll see, you actually will watch where their, their, their toes are pointing. If they stop and, and pause... Even if they flip the track and do this, you have another 25 to 30 seconds to start talking. And the way that I do is I say, I'm Aaron. If they say, I'm George. I'm Susan. And they actually give me their name. They are giving me permission to start a conversation. It's, it's the American culture. I don't even know why. It just is. Because if they don't give you their name, they're saying, I don't want to listen to you. And at that point, you can say, okay, I can either A, give this to them and be happy that I gave it to them, or go to a different approach. And you have to make that decision. And so I have seen this thousands of times, thousands of times. And it's the same way. The hardest group that I've ever found was groups from China. I was down in New York City, and I was handing out tracks, and they would always say no. And people don't say no to me. And I was like, so I stopped this lady, and I said, hey, listen, I've been going to people, and everyone from China that come here, they say no to me. Is it because I'm white? What, What is it? And she's just standing there. I said, no, you can talk to me. I just, I just want to know. She said, we're told before we come over that people will try to take stuff from us and never take from anyone. It doesn't matter if it's free because we're told that Americans are going to try to strip us from who we are. I'm like, oh, man, that's terrible. Well, I definitely think that that's right. You've got to be careful of not being stripped of who you are. But this right here is going to add to who you are. So why don't you just read it, and, and then you, maybe you can help me reach other people, okay? All right. So, yeah, give it back to me. <laughs> so, in the proclamation approach, it is asking questions. 
With this guy right here, uh, my question was, hey, buddy, how you doing? Um, you're in a burning building. You're the fireman, and people need to get out. You're trying to rescue them, but they don't believe you. There's a fire. What do you do? He goes, whoa. I'm like, what do you do, man? People are dying. Come on. And so he's like, I put them on my back. And I was like, you mean you carry them out? Yeah. Even if they don't want to? Yeah. I'm like, all right, so I have a situation for you. You know what? One day you're going to die, and you're going to go to the flames of fire. And I'm here to tell you there's a fireman who wants to rescue you, but are you willing to listen? Or are you going to be like those guys that you have to throw over your shoulder? Which one are you? Still asking him questions. Still the proclamation of uh, the uh, Columbo's approach. And that person got saved and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. We talked for 45 minutes, and he was ready to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. So I just want you to recognize the, the Columbo's approach is being as harmless as possible, asking questions. And I, I know I'm being careful for time. And like I said, there's multiple things here. But what I'm trying to equip you is you don't have to be a genius of, hey, I, I have to know everything about the Bible in order to win someone to Christ. You just have to be willing to ask them questions. You have to be intrigued enough to know about their life to ask them another question. And as that comes, the Holy Spirit will convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And you will see the Holy Spirit doing something in you that you've never seen before. Think about this. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, when you're standing around the Lord's Supper, they're going to come down on their knees, pull out your chair at the Lord's Supper, and say, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit of God dwell inside of you and be able to guide you in all truth? Some of us will be like, I didn't know what the difference was. I didn't think it was really important. They didn't have that. We do. The Holy Spirit of God is guiding you in all truth. And as an evangelist, there are times when things come to me, verses that I didn't memorize, and I'm like, wow, God, you did a great work here. And it was all because I was willing to ask these people questions. We were actually just uh, getting pizza. And literally, they gave us an opportunity just over a tip. And all of a sudden, I'm able to share and open up the track and at least share with her the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, I... I didn't say, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior there? Because there are times when you need to know the difference. And before I go into the next one, and I'll stop, I was out with Pastor Crone. He gave me the greatest compliment I ever had, and he says, Aaron, I've been evangelizing with many people. I've never seen someone do what you do. I'm like, I just talk. I really don't do anything. He goes, but I have a question for you. You were talking to Maria at RIT, and she was answering, yes, yes, yes. And you stopped talking to her, and you sent her her way with the track. And then you turned to Chris, this other guy, and he was a um, the ball and throw it, lacrosse player. And then he was answering yes, but you continued with him. Why did you continue with one and not the other? And I said, Pastor, I, I've done this enough time. Maria, she was saying yes to me regardless of what I said. I could be talking about Buddha. I could have been talking about, you know, any sort of religion. And she was just going, oh, yes, yes. Have you ever been with those people who just say yes to everything that you're saying? You could have been talking about something, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and they're just saying yes. <laughs> Don't call me out on this if, if you think I'm doing it. Well, what is it? Don't do that. Sometimes I do it. All right. <laughs> but she was just saying yes, and I realized that there was no more I was going to do in her life if I was to say, would you like to receive Jesus Christ? She would have said, yeah, 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 yeah. And that would have been in danger of a false conversion. So I left her with a track, and I sent her on her way. Guess what? God does the work, not me. But with Chris, 
there was something I could get through with the sport. And I said, listen, you are going to burn in hell, flames, fire, and torment, and you're going to wish you were dead, but you're already dead, and so you can't escape. I go, the two worst ways to die is dying by fire or dying by water, and you're drowning in a lake of fire, and you can never escape. And he was shocked, and and me and Pastor Crone got to lead him to the Lord that day. And the reason why I stopped and talked to him is I saw something different. He wasn't just answering my questions. He wanted to know. And you as brothers and sisters in the Lord, when you ask your questions, you have to know the difference because I can't tell you what it is. The Holy Spirit has to guide you. As we finish up here, this is the Columbo's approach. The last approach, I, I could talk about this all day long. Like I said, there's like 500 of these. But the one I wanted to hit here was... That was the pastor's wife, and she was able to lead this guy to the Lord by using the Columbo's approach. She learned it for the first time with me, and this was the last guy we talked to um, at, uh, what was the college? It was at Kentucky. You're right. Good job. I'm, that's my brain. At Kentucky. And I remember in this situation, she went through the Columbo's approach, and that person was ready to receive Christ. And she, I just stood there, and I was the prayer partner, which was so difficult. But... She was able to go through the gospel, and she said, that was such a thrill. I couldn't believe that it, it worked. And I said, well, I'm glad that the Holy Spirit guided you. Asking questions, being as harmless as possible. It, there was a, a show, the Columbo, I, I, it was before my time, but he used to say one more thing, and I would find myself doing that, one more thing. Let me just ask you one more question, and people are willing to answer. I don't have time for the last one. And um, there's a lot here. Sorry, I'm, I'm going too fast. But let's just say I went through all this, and you guys learned it. Okay, the last one I wanted to hit on was the ambassador's approach. And the reason why, I'm just going to hit this slide, and I'll be done. I, I don't have time for any more. But this is what I want to say. There are times you go door to door. It's not my favorite type of soul winning. Um, but I remember going with Caleb Crum. We went door to door, and he, he says, Aaron, I'm going to talk on this one. I said, sure, you talk on this one. I'll just be quiet. At least try. And we went to the door, and we knocked on the door, and he says, I, and Caleb started talking to him, and the guy says, you know what? I don't really want to talk to you guys. This is the third time you've come to this house. Can you just please leave me alone? He goes, okay, sorry. And he starts to walk away, and I'm like, nope, I'm going to try. <laughs> and I said, so you're a Mets fan? He's like, yeah, what of it? I was like, I'm sorry, man, I'm a Yankees fan. And he goes, yeah, well, and he starts at saying all these things, statistics that I had no idea what he was saying. And uh, I'm like, yeah, but can you do that? I say, I still feel like I'm in pretty good shape. I could probably knock a home run. Can you? Yeah. And he goes, man, I would do circles around you. You could definitely tell he had a little bit of ego here. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah. As we started talking, I said, um, well, do you play in any league? Do you do anything? And he says, yeah, I do this and this. I'm like, well, I play in a church league. And no offense, I think Christians are better players. And he goes, you guys couldn't even. And he starts going up. And so here we're getting a conversation. And I realize that I start asking questions. He's answering it. But I cannot get to the situation where I'm getting from the um, worldly conversation into the spiritual. Because he already shut down my partner. So the ambassador's approach is using your own testimony. And I said, hey, I know you shot down my partner. You don't want to talk about that. You want to talk about baseball. You think you're good, but you're really not. Um, but here's the thing. And so, and he's just having a blast. I said, you know what? I felt the same way. December 29, 2001, I was at a concert, and a guy got up and says, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're saved, you're going to burn in hell. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I was listening to this guy, wondering what I can do. 
you know, to go to heaven. And if there was nothing I can do, I was going to be totally depressed. I get it. But then when he finished, I realized that all I had to do was admit that I was a sinner and then believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for my sins and then confess and ask him to save me. It was a gift. Just like you want a gift of, you know, the Mets winning. You know, uh, you, you want this. Um, you might not get it, but let me explain that in this situation, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I got everlasting life. And that's all we're offering to you, man. He's like, I got it. And I said, would you like to take the track? He's like, sure. Caleb goes, how'd you do that? <laughs> and I said, I just used this approach. I realized that the other approach wasn't working. And so I just gave him a story, my testimony. And every one of you have that. Every one of you have a testimony of when you got saved. And so if they shut you down, say, I get it. I understand. I was lost once too. And go into the ambassador's approach. Brothers and sisters, listen, I... I'm saying to this as a teaching, as we kind of didactically go through uh, evangelism, I, I'm giving you tools that you can use. The Holy Spirit does the work, so I'm not trying to replace the Holy Spirit, and I'm not trying to sell you something. What I'm trying to get you to realize is it can be fun giving the gospel. Which group is this one going to be? Is it going to be Columbo's proclamation, an apologist? Is it going to be ambassador's approach? Which approach am I going to use in this situation? You come up with some partners. And I've had my daughter Abigail go on Sunday evenings with Catherine to the park and do this very thing. Now, I'm like pretty young to be going to the park with just you two ladies talking to guys on the, on the parking bench. But she's like, oh, Dad, you should hear about the conversations. And one of the thrills that I get is that because I was able to take them soul winning, they learned a lot of what it takes to use these different approaches. When you go to college campuses or you go to your neighbors or you go on the street and you start talking to someone and you're like, man, I want to see if I can get into a gospel presentation. Maybe use the Columbo's approach. And we were talking about wings. So I, I see that you work at a pizza joint, but do you really like pizza after working here for so long? I mean, do you even like it? No, actually, I go to the subway. So I'm like, okay, so you, because you've worked here so long, right, um, you want to go at the subways. But do you know what makes heaven so great? There's a tree that has 12 different fruits, and it bears it every month. It's going to be great. Pineapples and oranges, man, it's going to be great. Do you like fruit? Yeah. Would you eat the fruit in heaven? Maybe. I'm like, well, do you believe in heaven? Is that a place that you, you're going to go? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going, well, how do you know? I'm a good person. Oh, wait, how do you know? What, what, is, what does it mean to be good? Now, I, I kind of was just having a good time, and also now we're in a conversation. Yeah. It really is that easy, and the Holy Spirit does the work. My hope and my prayer is as when we go out on college campuses and I'm able to work with you and you're able to have these conversations, not only are you going to lead people to Christ and God's going to get the glory, but we're going to strengthen ourselves as Christian evangelists, as Christian soul winners, to realize that it's not just a command, it's fun yeah. to give the gospel. I pray that's what you want to do. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this teaching. Lord, I wish I could have had five hours to teach them um, just so many different things about what it means to approach people with the gospel. Lord, I'm thankful that you used me in this way. But God, we need you to step in the body of Christ, to stir up our heart, to have a zeal, have the cloak of zeal, to want to win people to Christ, and have fun doing it with each other as friends, as family members, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. I pray that you just charge us up as we go throughout this week and see if there's not opportunities to defend our faith, to ask questions about our faith. 
Lord, to share our testimony of when we got saved because you, Lord, are worthy for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. Help us to have fun doing it. Lord, thank you for this time and for this church. Please bless this church. Help them to grow, not just in numbers, but Lord, help them to grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray, with thanksgiving. Amen. Pastor.